Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. And we are excited to continue our series today. It is what it is. It's been a fun series as we've been going through the book of James, looking at these hard truths. And today, I think one of the be, might be one of the hardest truths we're going to receive. So one of the things that I've been praying as we've been in this series is, Lord, give us an appetite for truth. Give us an appetite for truth, because I don't know about you, the truth will set you free, but it might hurt you first. And many people don't want to hear the truth because it hurts. And so we're going to hear God's truth today, so we are excited to do that. Before you take a seat today, would you please give somebody a high five, a hug, and tell them that you're excited to see them today. If you're watching online, put something in the chat to say hi to all those watching along with, with you today. After you do that, you can take your seat, and we will go ahead and dive into God's Word today. And our scripture text for today is James chapter 4, verse 11 through 17. Hey, Jenna, would you mind bringing me that table right right there? I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Our scripture text today is James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. And so we are going to go ahead and put that on the screen behind me. And uh, we are going to read that before we dive in today. Um, Before we do that, though, a couple quick things. Number one, again, we are having life track right after second service. Yes, right after second service in Theater 20. So if you want to know more about our church and get involved to be a part of the community here at LifeHouse, we would love for you to come and join us there. Secondly, we're doing seven days of prayer and fasting starting August 21st and going through the 27th. So when you walked in, you should have received a card. On that card is a way for you to sign up and for you to join us on this seven days of prayer and fasting. How many of you know like the fall is fasting? The, the fall is approaching quickly. My God, school is starting soon. I've got three boys at home eating me out of house and home. I can't wait to get them back to school. I love them, but um, it's time. Uh, Teachers, we love you. We're grateful for you, and I can't wait to put them back in your hands so you can help us (laughs) uh, mold them uh, to be good citizens and Jesus followers. So, but um, hey, all right, hey, so we, we are in James chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. This is what it says. It says, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to who? Christians. Yes. Does this, does this mic sound okay? Yes. Okay, good. Um, do not slander one another. Just to let you know, that includes on social media. Just to make sure if you weren't clear, okay? Because I think Christians sometimes forget that. Like, God sees what you type. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we going in today, y'all, all right? Welcome to LifeHouse. Anyway, it says, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only how many lawgivers? One. And let me just remind you, it's not you or me. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. So the context there, whenever it says save and destroy, he's talking about eternally. 
okay? And then he asked this question, but you, <laughs> who are you to judge your neighbor? Uh-oh. Going into the second portion here, he says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And then he asks a second question. What is your life? That, don't that cut? Like, what is your life, homie? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So today's subject title is two important questions. And in our scripture text today, if you were following along, you probably picked up what those two questions are. The first question was, but who, but, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And secondly, what is your life? Now, when, when I was preparing for this message, this is the second time I've done this in this series, and it's the second time I've done this in the life of our church, where I have realized in my preparation, I'm not going to have time to cover both questions. Y'all, this is growth for me, just to be honest, because I am terrible at preaching too long and going over into the second service. And so by God's grace, y'all, your pastor is growing, trying to get better, trying to get smarter, trying to get a little more wise. So today, I, I was going to cover two important questions, but today I'm only going to cover one important question, so next week we'll cover the second one. But the question that I want to cover this week is the question that James asks when he says, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Isn't it true sometimes that questions can be a lot more powerful than a simple command? Let me give you an example, right? To where you have some people that are like, they come to Jesus and they're just like, tell me what you want me to do. Just give me commands. Give them to me. But normally, even in the ministry of Jesus, it's, it is actually documented that Jesus asks so many more questions than he gives direct commands. Why? Because questions have a way of getting into us so much more than a simple command does. Right? Because honestly, right, we just want to say, like, what is like sin? Just, just, just tell me what sin is. What is sin? Like, what can't I do? Right? When honestly, that might be, first off, the wrong question. The question, instead of saying, is it sin, the question you might need to ask is, is it loving? Is it wise? Because some stuff isn't sin, it's just not wise. Some stuff might not be sin, but it might, it's just not loving your neighbor well. right? But even, even so, you can see Jesus prefers to ask questions. So this one book that talks about how often Jesus asked questions uh, there was a quote from this book that says this here. It says, Jesus prefers to ask questions rather than provide direct answers. Jesus chooses to ask a question 307 times in the gospel accounts. 
Even if Jesus gives direct answers to as many as eight questions, that still means that Jesus is almost 40 times more likely to ask a question than he is to give a direct answer. Why? Because people came to Jesus and they just say, tell me what I have to do. But many times Jesus would respond to them, you know, even like the one guy that, that was like, well, who is, who is my neighbor? Right? Because he was wanting to treat people a certain, a certain way, but Jesus goes in and asks him a question to get to the heart of really what his heart was. Right? And, and so I love how James even uses this, this way of teaching these brothers and sisters in Christ, not by just telling them what to do, but by asking them questions to think. Because here's the thing, asking the right questions is just as important as having the right answers. Like some of you were taught in your church to not question anything. I even had a conversation the other day with somebody where they told me like their, their teenager was walking through things and they were questioning something in, in their class and the teacher was getting mad at her for even asking a question. And we've got to make sure that as we are helping people discover what, who Jesus is and what church is and all this stuff, that we provide a safe place in space for people to ask questions and not condemning them for, for, having, like for, for wanting to know something, right? Because we can, in the church, sometimes we can get so locked in on know this dog dogma, know no. You know, know, you know, know this theology, which is good, which is important. We need to know theology. But at the same time, with that, we cannot be afraid to also ask questions. I appreciate questions. I'll just be honest with you. Like, whenever we have people in our church that send me honest questions, I appreciate it so much because to me that shows that they care. That they're not just trying to take everything I say or everything that our church does as just being perfect because it's not. But I appreciate when somebody asks, hey, why do we do communion every single week? Why, why do we sing so loud? Like, like, why, 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 why? And I'm like, I appreciate these. Why? Because that opens up the door. That shows that they have a hunger to learn. That shows they have a hunger to understand. And what I would actually challenge you to see, see even the way that rabbis in Jesus' day were taught, and probably the way that Jesus was taught as Jesus was trained in the temple. You can see that Luke brought out at 12 years old, Jesus was in the temple asking questions. One of the ways that rabbis would actually teach is they would give their students a portion of scripture and say, don't come back until you have 25 questions about this text. Because he just didn't, didn't want them to retain information or to just memorize it. He wanted them to wrestle with it. Wrestle with the text. Get into it. Not just, what do I need to know? But let's, let's dance here. Because it's normally in that dance that that, it, that, that the concept gets deep into you. So that's why James, when he's talking here, and he says, he says, hey, you shouldn't slander, you know, you judge the, the law, blah, 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 but who, who are you to judge your neighbor? And what he's trying to get them to do is to really look at themselves. He's like, bruh, who are you? There's one lawgiver, one judge, and you ain't it. So therefore, brothers and sisters, walk through your life knowing that there is one who will save and destroy it, and his name is, or her name is not you. Now, when we talk about judging, we dive into one of the most controversial 
things in Scripture and that people love to point out. Only God can judge me. Don't judge me. I've had my 11-year-old son, when I was correcting him, yes, who I will remain, remain nameless, Jackson, this is how deeply embedded this is into our culture, though. My 11-year-old son, when I corrected him for something he did to his brother, looked at me straight in the eye and said, don't judge me. I was like, bruh, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to end you. <laughs> I'm kidding, partially. <laughs> but I say that just to tell you and show you how deeply entrenched this idea is. But also, too, we're not as many of us are different than Jackson. Because we do the exact same thing. And what I want to dive into today is, is talking about this question, who are you to judge? Because I think there are some ideas we need to have reframed, and there's some, there are some ideas that we need to let go of when it comes to judging, and there are some rough and tough ideas that Scripture points out that we actually need to receive when it comes to the concept of judging. So first off, let me say this. You judge every day. You have to. There, there is a difference between temporarily judging a circumstance or person and eternally judging somebody. Put that slide up, please. Tempor See, here's the thing. Temporarily judging is wise. Eternally judging is above your pay grade. Temporarily judging is so vital because, let me tell you this, I'm judging my child's friends because I am responsible for helping to mold and shape his character. So yes, as a parent, I will judge what kids are in or not in my child's life because I want to create an atmosphere for them to grow, an atmosphere for them to become a good person, an atmosphere for them to become a Jesus follower. So yes, I will temporarily judge people's character, tempor temporarily judge people's circumstances, temp temporarily judge, but I will not eternally judge them, parents, kids, whatever, on where they're going to spend eternity because that's above my pay grade. And that is what James is getting at here and what Jesus was getting at whenever he said, because everyone's favorite scripture, everyone's favorite scripture, even if people don't know the Bible, even if people aren't Christians, even if people like the one that they know, judge not lest ye be judged. <laughs> Jesus wept and judge not lest ye be judged, right? It's the one everyone knows. And it's the one that they used to point out <laughs> or the one that they bring up whenever somebody is temporarily judging them. And I think it's so important that we have to realize temporarily and eternal judgment. Like, if we say you never judge, you're a hypocrite. Because you do, you have to. You have to be able to make judgments on certain people. Because here's the thing, if, if you're a business owner, like, you kind of have to judge some character. If somebody isn't trustworthy, you're not going to be like, well, I'm just not going to judge them. How can you run a home without ju judgment? I mean, I'm judging my kids all the time. That was stupid. You shouldn't say that. Right? But this whole mentality of do judge not lest you be judged has gone, like, 
it's gone out of control to where now the only sin in our culture, like the only sin in our culture is judging somebody. Like the only sin is telling someone that something's a sin. And we have to make sure that we understand the right kinds of judgment. Because what is actually very interesting, and maybe a scripture, and maybe you you uh, have never been acquainted with that I want to share with you today. And before we put it up, I want to give the context. We have to understand the Bible didn't just happen. The Bible happens. Okay? Some of y'all look at this book and think it's so above you, you could never understand it. Which that is the biggest lie the pit of hell wants to put in your mind. You know, it was a couple thousand years ago or thousands of years ago. So different, man. Nothing to do with cult, nothing to do with now. What was then isn't now. And, you know, this is so old. And, y'all, this is the, and we, we believe this is the inspired perfect word of God. But this is the one of, this is a book about humanity. This is a book about how humanity is. That not just what happened then, but what happens now. So let me give you an example, right? The, like churches back then were crazy. They were wild. Like we can look at, you know, these famous preachers now. Yeah, look at all these preachers falling, man. They're, they're having affairs. They're money laundering. They're taking advantage of people. All of this stuff. See, the, see this is a farce, y'all. It's been happening for thousands of years since the church began. This is not new stuff. And if you would actually read, read the Bible and you would read books like 1 Corinthians, which is written to a church that was planted in Corinth by the Apostle Paul, who Paul, he planted it. Then he's like, yo, elders, you got to do your thing. Now I'm, I'm, I'm going to go and plant some other churches, right? So then he hears about stuff that's going on. So let me just give you a few things that Paul heard that were going on. There was sexual sin going on, particularly incest. Got your attention now. They were getting drunk during communion. If I see y'all popping bottles during communion, we're going to have a little chat. They were favoring one leader over another. They were talking behind each other's backs. They were taking each other to court. They were suing each other. They had super spiritual people trying to take over the worship services by being loud and obnoxious. They were misusing spiritual gifts. And this is just a few that I brought up. Y'all, this is crazy. Like, Lifehouse ain't that bad. No. Like, we good. But, but when you, like, what I'm trying to say is that when, I, when I'm about to read this next scripture, we have to know that this wasn't just something for them. This is something we have to apply now. And it's 1 Corinthians 5, 12, when Paul said this. He said, look, church, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Do you know what he's saying? It's not my responsibility to judge the world because the world is just being the world. So why do Christians spend so much time judging sinners for sinning? It just irritates the living blood out of me to see Christians speaking against non-Christians when they're not Christians. They don't have our standard. They don't have our morals. They, they, they have different values and standards and priorities. 
But that's typically where we spend the most time judging, is outsiders. And this is what Paul says. He says, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but, and here's a big but, it certainly is your. Do you know who he's saying your? The church. To judge those where? Inside the church. Who are doing what? Oh, boy. <laughs> Everyone doing okay? You doing okay online? Because this isn't taught a whole lot. What Paul is saying is that it is actually our responsibility to, in some ways, be judging each other if we see somebody walking or doing life in a way that is not God's best. Let's pray and we'll go home. No, I'm just, <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. But I, I, I want us to feel the weight of that because I, I want to say something that I believe the, the Lord has had, like, told me to say that I believe is a hard truth, but, my, but hope you hear my heart and see my heart, y'all. Y'all, like, I love you dearly, like, so much. Like, it's such an honor to do anything with God's church, but to be your pastor, it's such an honor. But I really felt the Lord say this, like, the reason that some of, of us, and I'm not saying you, I'm, I'm, I'm even saying us, haven't matured to new levels of discipleship to Jesus is our lack of and hesitancy of receiving judgment. Because we can be so much more concerned about being judged than we are about growing. And let's just be honest. No one matures or grows without somebody like saying, hey, that, I don't know if you should be doing that, man. But doesn't something rise up within us? Who are you? I know what you do. I know, you know, and, and it just becomes this back and forth thing. And it's like we have so many defenses up that we actually miss the hint of truth in what someone is telling us. Now, I think one of the reasons why we're like a cat in water when it comes to, to this, when it comes to receiving judgment from somebody, is because, yes, the church has abused this, no doubt, and some of you have experienced that. Like, you have experienced spiritual abuse. And I want to say, I'm, on behalf of God, I'm sorry. Because people have taken their positions, they've taken their titles, they've taken a spiritual authority that was delegated to them by God and used it as a hammer to beat people down. But I want to just know God is the ultimate judge. And let me tell you what James 3 says. It says those who teach will be judged more strictly. So you, you, you let God deal with them. Okay? You let God deal with them. And if you experience that, that's a real thing. I'm not devaluing. I'm not putting that out. But what I will caution you with is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because many times when we have an experience, it jades the way something, like it, it, it becomes a filter we see everything through. So if you experience spiritual abuse, then you might view somebody lovingly challenging you or correcting you as spiritual abuse, when really they're just trying to give you some loving, kind counsel. 
Y'all, this is, this is good. This is good. Right? And, and, and so we have to make sure that we take our experiences and we, and that's why we have to process them. That, that, that's why some of you, like, you're, you were spiritually abused and you haven't healed. Like, you, you said, well, I should get over it. Well, it, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's me. And, and I'm like, no, you probably need to process it with a good friend, a close friend, a godly friend that will give you empathy and space and time and give you a safe space to be okay and pray with you and walk you through it so you can get healed. So then you can get to the point of then saying what they did was dumb, what they did was absolutely wrong, but I'm not going to let that jade what I need. And that is loving correction and discipline. Like one of the reasons why I think it's like, it's, it's like church gone wild. There's a song called that. Church gone wild. Church gone wild. Anyway. It is, is because honestly, we, you have pastors and leaders afraid to correct. I'll just be honest. But then you have people afraid to receive it. And typically that's why there's not a lot of growth because Pat, like good pastors and leaders don't want to trigger people. And people don't want to be triggered, so it's like two triggered sides, right? Missing something that is absolutely necessary to grow and mature to new levels of discipleship to Jesus. You see Jesus, <laughs> like he corrected, he brought some correction to his disciples. I don't know if you've read the Gospels. Hey, Peter, you're acting like Satan right now, buddy. Okay. <laughs> right? So, we, like, we, we have to figure out and say, okay, where, like, where am I on that scale? Because here's, here's the thing, and what my heart is, is I don't want you to miss growth opportunities. Because, y'all, you know this, if you are a parent, the only way many times your kids grow and mature is when you bring correction. And when you talk, but, but also to how it's given. And that's why, that's why I love Paul, because Paul here, when, when he's talking to churches that are doing crazy stuff, he doesn't say, you suck, you're terrible. Paul starts with who they are first. He separates what they do from who they are. And this is a good parent. What you did was dumb, but you are not dumb. You are my child. You are loved. You are safe in this family. There's nothing you could ever do to make me love you more or love you less. I love you. Right? And this is what Paul does. When he goes in and he disciplines, he says, y'all, this is not you. Like, even in the next chapter when he's talking into some of this stuff, he says, this is the stuff you used to do, but this is not you anymore. Let me start with your identity of who you are in Christ. Because here's the, this is the good news of the gospel, y'all. You do not earn a position with God. You receive a position from God. This is the good news, family. Everything in our culture is earn. Earn your income. Earn your status. Earn your influence earn and then we come into the church and we're like the gospel's free no that's too good to be true no but it's upside down because the gospel is you receive a new identity and then you live a, then you learn to live and train up to this new identity you now have in christ that you didn't earn that was given to you 
the other gospel is, yeah, just do a lot of good stuff to earn something before God, but you can't do enough good to earn anything from God. But that's where Paul starts. He says, let me just not talk about what you do first. Let me talk about who you are first. And that's what makes judging important, and that's what makes the heart behind judging so important. Because y'all know this tone matters, right? If you're bringing correction and discipline and with a loving heart, like it, as a parent, that can hurt to do that. But your tone matters, the way you do it. And this is where I think many times the church has gotten off and some, some of you have been triggered and you've been abused because of the tone, the way it was done, where it was done, what you felt afterwards, how you were treated afterwards. And it's these sorts of things that as the one receiving and as the one giving ju ju judgment. Like, and, and, and that is why this stuff takes place best in a place of trust and commitment. And that's why I think a church home is so vital. Because hopefully, if you are a part of our church, hopefully you know the heart behind us. Hopefully you know our desire for you. Like you know our vision every single week we say it. Like this is what we want for you. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Have we messed up all the time? But none of us are perfect, right? Like it's, do y'all see the give and take here? How, how it's, it's, it's messy. When you get people involved, it's messy. But just because it's messy doesn't mean it shouldn't be happening. Just because it can be abused doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. It's just like eating, man. Like you had a bad experience at a, at a restaurant. You never going to go to a restaurant again? Right? Like it's, 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 it's like we have to say maybe we need to rethink the way it's done. And here's why this matters, Hebrews 5. So the writer of Hebrews, some, some, some people debate who it was, but most people say that it was Paul. This is why this, this matters, is because there is much more, and, and, he, and he's talking to, the, to a church here and talking to believers. He says, there's much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are, and he gets real here, <laughs> spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. He says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are what? Mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Let me tell you this, giving and receiving judgment requires an immense amount of maturity. Or like you get mature by doing it. But what I felt like the Lord was saying here is that some of you have been on milk for so long and the reason you've been on milk for so long is because solid food is when you're able to get to a place where you can start receiving loving, kind, correction, and judgment. What I would say is this, don't be somebody who is more concerned with not being judged than wanting to mature in the Lord. Paul says it's not our responsibility to judge outsiders, but it says your responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean we go around, right, with a, with a like, uh-huh, 
I see that, homie. Y'all, that's garbage. Y'all, like the church is, is like a healthy home, a healthy family. The atmosphere should be that. My prayer is that you come to the family reunion, because that's what I see Sundays as. That's why when you miss, I hate it. When you're not here for a long time, it's like a family member's missing. And just to see your face and give you a hug and check in and give you a report on how the family, you know, it's, it's just like, that, that is kind of what Sundays is. And, you know, it, but the church should operate like a big family that, that we, that, that as we build trust, as we get to know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, relationship is vital, trust is vital, community is vital. Like, there's so many things that provide the environment and the place and the space for what Paul said to happen, but it doesn't happen in a short amount of time. It, 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 it takes time. It takes time to build, to build relationship. It takes time to build community. It takes time for you to trust me, to trust the other leaders we have, to trust the other pastors, to trust the other staff. But we live in a culture that people just jump from church to church to church to church to church without any time to build some trust. And that's why being planted, I think, is so important because this stuff can't happen unless there's trust and commitment and community. Am I right? And what I am not saying is like, all right, we're, we're about to start handing out some judgments. No, this is just what was on the list in James 4, okay? So there is no ulterior motive here. Because I'm talking to myself here too. Because I don't know about you, I've got a, I, like, I've got pastors. So sometimes they, they tell me, hey, John, when you did that, was that wise? Uh, why you judge it? Well, yeah, you're probably right, <laughs> you know, like. But also, too, sometimes they might see me doing something that they don't have context for. Because here, here's the thing. The further you are away, the easier it is to distort right? Because, and that's why it tri tricks me out. It trips me out whenever I see Christians judging people on social media from afar. They don't have any context in that person's life. Because distance creates distortion. Context can bring some clarity. And sometimes, like, that's why even some of us keep the church at an arm's length is because you want to be close enough to receive, but not close enough to be corrected. Or not close enough to be, for someone to actually know you. So we keep it at a comfortable distance to where we can receive and get what we want, but maybe not get what we actually need. You know what I'm saying? This is what Proverbs says. It says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from what? An enemy. And really, whenever we're talking about like what kind of environment we, we hope to have at LifeHouse, it's, it's kind of this, y'all, we aren't going around barking out orders. We aren't going around, like, y'all, no. Like, we're not going to bring any, anyone up here and be like, sinner, put an A on their chest. You know, like, y'all, like that, no. No. But my hope and prayer is that you and us, there, 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 would, be a, like, there would be a unity, a commitment, like, that the, you would be able to lovingly give somebody, say, hey, I saw this, and I just don't, and, and I just, I'm not, 
here is my heart. Is, is, you know, can you tell me about this? I mean, how amazing would that be to, to, for two mature people to be like, hey, I see you, or I, I saw you, I, I, you know, and, and this is just worrying me. Can, can you just tell me about that? And the person's like, yeah, well, actually, what's going on? I've got this going on, that going on, and, and, and said, so that's kind of like what's, what's like, you know, that's kind of like what's going on. Okay, cool. Thank you for sharing that with me. My, my heart is love. My heart is to make sure you're following Jesus, you know, and, 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 and then they can, like, still love each other and not leave. And one person's like, they judge me at that church. And then the other person's like, man, everyone leave. You know, it's just like then it becomes this big bickering fest. Is, is, is this that, that, that we can be mature, we can grow up in the faith to where we get to a point of. But do y'all see how this can be messy? And it takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of trust. It, 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 so I'm not giving you how we're going to actually do that. But no, but like the point is, is I can't get into technique today, but I can just say like, y'all, like this is something as like, we need to be craving correction instead of defending ourselves from it. Because I tell you what, a relationship is not really, is, is, is not really tested until there's some correction. So let me ask you this, this question. Jarvis, you can go ahead and come on up, brother. Who, who in your life do you allow to lovingly, in Christ, judge you? Is there even anybody that has permission, that even has access? Right? Why? Because... As, as we get to a point of actually practicing this, like it, it grows you. It matures you. And, and you know what is actually wild? Like we shouldn't be, just be judging each other. What actually scripture tells us is that we should be judging ourselves. Like do, do you even judge yourself? <laughs> like do you judge yourself? Like it's absolutely wild when talking about communion. So this is Paul again talking to the church and Corinth, those that were getting drunk during communion. He actually says this in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one through 32, which we're going to actually practice communion today. And if I see you popping bottles, right, you know, there'll be some judgment going on. Right? No, but, you know, like, the, the, he, he says this, and the context here is communion. He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we, we are chastened by the Lord, and that word chastened is a King James Version word, which simply means discipline, by the Lord, that, that we may not be condemned with the world. And, and, and really what Paul is saying here, that if, if we would like let others judge us and we would judge ourselves, we would not stand in judgment before the Lord, which scripture says one day we are going to stand before the Lord and receive jud jud judgment. But if we practice judgment by ourselves now, when we practice judgment and letting other people speak into our lives, the, the judgment from the, from the Lord will actually be better. But let me, let me say this, like, and this is why the gospel is such good news, because, because of what Jesus did for you. Like, Jesus was judged so you wouldn't be. Eternally, I'm saying. Jesus died 
was beaten, bruised, lived an insane life, and was eventually murdered, and was judged by the religious, and was judged by Pilate, by, by religion and the government to be murdered, and received judgment. So when you stand before God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be judged that harshly. But they would see that, man, Jesus did what you couldn't do, died a death you should have died, lived a life you couldn't live, a perfect life, resurrected, defeated Satan, sin, and death. And now as you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the benefit of what Jesus gained and earned is now imputed to you to now when you stand before God. That's why that word righteous is so important because righteous simply means right standing. That when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see all you've done, he sees what Jesus did. So when you stand before him, you stand redeemed. You stand new. It was the guilty giving, it was the guiltless giving his life for the guilty. It was the sinless giving his life for the sinful. And as we receive communion together today, would you, would you please stand up with me? And if you need communion elements today, would you just please raise your hand up? One of the ushers, they'll get that to you. But, but as we receive communion today and celebrate the fact that Jesus was eternally judged so we wouldn't have to be, that we can stand before God, righteous, pure. This is what communion is. It's celebrating the fact that we are not eternally judged to hell, but we are eternally declared righteous and our home is heaven. It's such good news, family. It is such good news. But my heart today is that we just wouldn't celebrate eternally not being judged, but we would also say, Lord, thank you for letting me be a part of your church. And Lord, I will make a commitment to giving to, to first off, getting planted in a community where there can be trust, love, and commitment built so there can also be temporary, Christ-like, loving correction given. Why? So you can mature and grow. Have you heard my, have you heard my heart, church? I hope, what you, I hope you leave today knowing you are more loved I love you, God loves you, the church loves you, and we want to create a space and place so we can all mature and grow and be everything, everyone say everything, everything that God wants you to be in Christ Jesus. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.